Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We just want to make keeping up on the literature easy, and to do that, we will spoon-feed it to you. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber and so will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the last week's articles. Don't worry, though, all good articles. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you will have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org, where remember, we never want money to be a barrier to better patient care. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, reach out and we'll be able to help you out. Now, this is the audio version of the past week's summaries, which this week were brought to you by Michelle Scuba-Gray, Jason Lesnick, Andy Hogan, Seth Walsh-Blackmore, and Clay Smith. Okay, let's skip straight to the third article. Titled, Evaluating the PenPass Clinical Decision-Making Tool to Enhance Penicillin Allergy Delabeling out of the JAMA Internal Medicine. Now, I'm sure I've probably mentioned this on the podcast at some point before, but prior to medical school, I did a master's degree studying immunology. So even though I decided to go into emergency medicine and not something like infectious diseases, all things microbiology, allergy, and immunology have a very, very special place in my heart. Which is part of why I am a huge fan of vaccines and not at all a fan of allergies that aren't really allergies. I'm looking at you, iodine allergies, but also looking at penicillin allergies, when it's very unlikely that patients actually have one. Which does more than just annoy me, it's worse for your patients. Many first-line antibiotics are penicillin derivatives, so we end up avoiding first-line treatments in these patients. This leads to more side effects and often worse bacterial coverage. And even though the vast, vast majority of penicillin allergies aren't real, a huge number of doctors just roll with the punches and give second-line choices. How about a nice little tool to help you give penicillins when you can? That tool is called the PenFast tool, designed by these authors, which you can use to help risk stratify patients who would be high risk for real penicillin allergies versus, well, really it identifies patients who are very low risk, and then hopefully you can actually just give them penicillin. These authors use the tool retrospectively on 120 outpatient allergy clinic patients who then later did skin testing and oral drug challenges to see if they really had a penicillin allergy or not. 73% of the patients scored a score of 2 or less on the PenFast rule, which I'll go over in a second, and none of these patients with these low scores had a true allergic reaction when they did the oral challenge. So how do you get points in PenFast risk tool? Well, if you had a reaction within the last 5 years, then that would be worth 2 points. And then if the patient reports anaphylaxis, angioedema, or severe cutaneous reaction, then that would also be worth two points. Then if they required treatment for whatever reaction they had, that would be worth one point. So if your patient would have one or fewer of these risk factors, then the tool would have a 100% negative predictive value for not actually having an allergic reaction to penicillin. Of course, this was not done in the emergency department setting, but I would like to see it validated there. I doubt this tool on its own will change your practice, and it'll probably not change my practice all by itself, certainly not just from this study. But I could really imagine this being used in combination with emergency department-based oral challenge protocols. That's something I would love to see. 
Inspoonful PenPast is a tool to help risk stratify penicillin allergy patients that did pretty well as a tool, but it did well in an allergy clinic population, not in the emergency department. And then we have the fourth article titled Impact of a Macrolide Treatment on Long-Term Mortality in Patients Admitted to the ICU Due to Community Acquired Pneumonia. A Targeted Maximum Likelihood Estimation and Survival Analysis out of the journal Critical Care. What is your go-to antibiotic regime for community-acquired pneumonia patients who need to go to the ICU? My local hospital recommends ceftriaxone with azithromycin for seven days. Do you include a macrolide like azithromycin in your cocktail? I hope that you do, and you'll see why in a second, because these authors did a large database review to compare the use of at least two days of macrolide coverage to not using macrolides in patients with community-acquired pneumonia who were admitted to the ICU. And what they saw was a decrease in mortality, an adjusted odds ratio of 0.82 at 6 months and 0.84 at 12 months. That's a lot of lives saved by such a simple little change. This effect was persistent after several methods of data analysis, the specifics of which I'm not going to go over because this is a spoon-feeding podcast. And yet, despite all of this, macrolides were only used in 31% of the total sample of patients. And if the patients were mechanically ventilated, then they were even less likely to receive macrolides. The authors went on to perform a targeted maximum likelihood estimation, a machine learning method which is used to analyze observational data and theoretically allows for some kind of a causal effect estimation. This does not replace true randomized studies, I will say this up front, it's only making estimations, but we can try to do this nonetheless to try to get closer to the truth if possible. Now, using this fancy method, they estimated a 7% decrease in mortality at 12 months by using macrolides. Not huge, but, you know, pretty dang big. This is great, actually, and you should be using macrolides. But you, do you know of a circumstance when they're often not recommended? That's in patients who have an allergy to penicillin. So you won't be able to synergize these macrolides with the beta-lactam antibiotic, and instead you're just going to use something like fluoroquinolones, which we know have a lot of side effects and problems that we don't love. But of course, you can refer to the last article for help in avoiding fake allergies. In a spoonful, macrolides for community-acquired pneumonia, particularly these very sick patients who are going to the ICU, well, I mean, they're pretty great. We need to cover for those atypicals. All right, that's all our articles. Let's do our wrap-up. Then from the third article, you could use the PenFast tool to help with your risk stratification of penicillin allergies. And then after that, from the fourth article, for your next community-acquired pneumonia patient who is being admitted to the ICU, I strongly recommend you consider prescribing a macrolide. Could save a life. Again, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not part of the members feed and missed three articles from this week. What were those articles about? Well, let me tell you. One of them was about who is the better trauma team leader, surgeons or not surgeons. Then there's a problem with emergency medicine and it's harming our female staff. Listen to the article to hear more. Then the last article you missed is that there's an alternative to physostigmine for antimuscularinic delirium and hey, it should work. All right. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of spaced repetition. 
Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time.